and uh, let her help out in this meeting some. But I appreciate those of you that have bought tapes and have purchased them. I trust they'll be a blessing to you. And uh, do remember the meeting as you leave now. They're, they're look for June, coming up in yeah. June next year. And uh, Lord willing, God permitting, and Jesus doesn't come, uh, you'll have Brother Joe Arthur here and uh, Brother Larry Brown from Augusta, South Carolina. I'm telling you, wild men. I mean, wild men and good men. If you've never, how many of you have ever heard Brother Larry Brown from Augusta? Any, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he's a wild man. And uh, I mean, he, he loves motorcycles. One of the reasons I like him, he's a motorcycle freak. He likes them. And he's went and bought him one of those boss horses. Now, they couldn't use the word uh, boss hog because Harley has a patent on the word hog. But you say, preacher, what in the world is a boss hoss? Well, it has a back tire about this wide. It's a, it's a Harley-Davidson motorcycle frame. It's got a 350 Chevrolet engine sitting under it with uh, been punched out, runs about 375 horse, got a set of headers on each side, and got aluminum intake and a holly carburetor sitting on it, and you mash one button and give it gas and hold on for your life. And he rides that thing, friend, and, he, and, <laughs> and he'll ride it to meet. He'll ride it to meet and come in and uh, open up his saddlebag, get out his sport coat, put it on, come in and preach, jump back on that motorcycle and take off again. I used to say, now that is a wild man. You come and see him, hear him preach, he preaches. You'll enjoy him and Brother Joe Arthur. And I want to say it's a blessing tonight to have my pastor with us tonight. It's good to have my brother here tonight, Brother Jim Seaton. We call him Jimbo. He's my pastor now. And uh, I appreciate him being here in the meeting tonight. And uh, he got saved several, several years ago. Jim, when was it when you got saved? 91. That was in December of 1991. And uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed for him. See, I'm 12 years older than he is. There's a lot of similarities here between the Blue Brothers and the Seton Brothers. And I got saved and, and was praying for him. Mother was praying for him. But uh, Jim was out in sin, deep in sin. Involved in a lot of things just like I was. But uh, it, it almost seemed, Brother Bobby, that I'd pray and pray and I'd fast for people and others would get saved. But it seemed like my brother was getting further and further away from God. But then one night, uh, and I, I was in a meeting down in Florida where I'd fasted for 12 days then, maybe even 14, I can't remember now. And I broke the fast on the way back uh, coming up out of Georgia. And I'll say this and testify a minute, then I'll preach. And uh, as I was coming back up, I broke that fast. And when I got home, I went to my brother and I said, Jim, I said, I, I'm, through, I'm through preaching to you. It seemed like I was driving a wedge between me and him. His hair was long and he had a perm in the back of it and that low-riding Silverado pickup truck and, you know, all that Wailing Jennings music and, and, and all that stuff that goes with that. And uh, he was involved in drinking and some drugs just like I was. And I said, I'm through preaching to you. I, I'm through harping at you, son. I said, but I'm going to start talking more to the Lord about you than I am talking to you about the Lord. And uh, I remember that day there was a faint tear in his eye, and he turned and walked away. wasn't long after that that I, I said, Jim, I need you to go with me. I knew he was out of work, and he didn't have a job then. I said, uh, would you go with me? I want you to try, drive me to a meeting. And he said, why, Buster? He said, you know, these are all the clothes I've got, just what I wear to the bar rooms and things and gambling joints. And I said, that'll be fine. And he even went so far, and he said, he said, you know, I smoke. I said, son, you could smoke in the car. That'll be fine. And uh, just go outside the church when you go to smoke. If you smoke like when we're at the church house, just go outside. 
And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to let that detain us. And I invited him to go with me. And I said, if you'll go, I'll give you a piece of money for driving me. I said, let's just go and have some fellowship. So we went. We went over to South Carolina. And on Wednesday night, I preached in a church, and they run about maybe 50 to 75. And I called these men and told them I was bringing my brother. And I said, now, he looks like anything but a Christian. I said, you couldn't get all of his hair under a bushel basket. And I said, man, he's got a big old long woolly beard. And I said, uh, they said, bring him on. They, they said, bring him on. He'll be a welcome guest at our church. And that first church we were at, they give him a plaque for being a first-time visitor. Made him feel so welcome. And then the next night, we went to Brother Brown's, Brother Larry's, and I preached there on Thursday night. They run about 700 people. And they give him a standing ovation for being a first-time visitor. And on the way back home, I noticed he was awful quiet, and he didn't get saved in that meeting, and uh, I was just give out, tired, and we was coming through the gorge, coming through uh, Newport there, coming on toward the house. Got home that Friday morning, I guess about 3.30 or 4, I give him a piece of money, I give him $100 for taking me, and thanked him, and said, I'll see you later. Well, little did I know that afternoon when he got up and he had planned to go on out to the gambling joints, do his thing that he did on Friday nights, start out drinking, start out gambling. And, uh, but about 10.30, I can't remember, maybe 10 or 10.30, we were sitting there at the house, and all of a sudden, headlights were coming into our picture window. And my wife said, somebody has run plumb up into the yard. And then I saw him coming, and he was coming into the front door with his hands up like this, and he was screaming, I've gone as far as I can go. And tears was running down his face. Now, I didn't really, I didn't comprehend what was going on. First thing run through my mind, Brother Ed Hall, I thought my brother shot somebody. I said, they've been in a fight. There's been somebody killed. And then when he got into the living room, he fell on his knees and said, I've gone as far as I can go. We got down on our faces and began to pray. And when we got up, he said, you're a little late. I said, what do you mean? He said, I believe the Lord saved me on the way over here in that pickup truck. My wife was in the back room, and she went back there squalling and crying and called Mama. And Jimbo went running out of my house. And from my house, it's just a little way up to Mother's house. And I saw the prodigal son go running home that night. Mama was standing out on the porch with the porch light on. Hugged his neck that night, and Jim got saved and got in. And now, not only that, he's pastoring now, Baptist Church in Knoxville, and it's just good. It's good to see what the Lord can do. And that ought to encourage some of you. You might say, well, I've got a brother or a sister. Seems like they're so far away from God. They never will. Don't give up praying, church. Don't give up praying. Some of you moms and dads, some of you grandparents might say, I've got a child. Seems like they're a grandchild. There's just no way. You keep on praying. God the Holy Ghost knows how to arrest sinners. Amen. He does. He knows how to get a hold of them, friend. And I'm just glad tonight to be here. Second Samuel chapter number 15. In chapter number 15, when we come to this passage of Scripture, you'll find that what's been going on, David is some now maybe 60 years old. And in verse 1, it said it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, 
Thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. You see what Absalom is doing? He's leading an insurrection against his own dad's kingdom. And there's still Absaloms that are around tonight. You pastors know what I'm talking about. And if you pastor along or in the ministry long, you'll meet some of these who are Absaloms, who have the spirit of an Absalom, friend. And uh, that's just the way it is. There's people like that. And in verse number 5, it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. He's buttering up to every one of them. And on this matter did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. That's what he set out to do, and he achieved what he set out to do, friend. He led that revolt and, and that insurrection, or if you will, a coup attempt against his own dad's kingdom. Drop down to verse number 13. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. Here David gives the command for those that are with him and his servants and his family. He said we must leave. David decided not to stand and fight against Absalom. There's a little book, if you can find it, it's called The Tale of Three Kings. You ought to find that book in a good bookstore. I believe the author's name is Gene Edwards. I know nothing about the author himself, but that's a good little book, friend. And it talks about how David would never stand up against Saul. Saul cast javelins at David, but David never cast javelins back at Saul. And then here you find that David would not stand against his own son. He decided to leave and flee the kingdom than to fight against Absalom. If you'll notice in verse number 18, and all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethonites, and all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men, which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Now there's a host, there's, there's many men that are following after David and his family, and then his servants, but drop down to verse 23. Now I'll try to tie all this together in just a moment. The Bible says in verse 23, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people passed over, the king also himself passed over the brook Kidron, and all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now that's the direction that they're going. They're going out of Jerusalem, and they're going the way of the wilderness. Some has said that this is the Jericho road that they're taking, and they're going out of Jerusalem. They're weeping. They're going down seemingly in disgrace. In verse number 30, And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went up, and he had his head covered, and he went barefoot. Now that doesn't mean that David didn't have time to put on a pair of shoes. 
He has his head covered and he's barefoot. It's a picture of his shame and his remorse and his sorrow that's in his heart. And then you'll find in all the people that were with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went up. It looks like total disgrace. It looks like total defeat for David and David's kingdom. In verse 32, and it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshiped God. Now, I don't believe in verse 32. Now, I could stand to be corrected right here, but I doubt this day as David is making haste, trying to get out of Jerusalem and to leave the kingdom, I doubt he took time on this day to worship God. I believe what's implied here in the Scripture that this is a place where David often resorted to, where he often would go and get along with God and meet with God. And, and the Bible said it came to pass when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God. Can't you imagine the enemy is whispering to David and, and the devil is saying, David, you'll never worship God again. You'll never feel the breath of heaven upon your soul again. David, you're going down in disgrace and defeat. Have you ever had the enemy to tell you that? Have you ever had the devil to whisper that to your soul, that, that you'll never be able to worship God again and feel his presence and his power? But the devil is a liar and the father of every lie. If you'll notice now in chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, the Bible said in chapter 16, And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, that's a big word there, it means looky, looky, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. I want to preach tonight with the help of the Lord from chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. And I want to preach on this subject just a little past the top of the hill. I've read all of these other verses for background information. I wanted you to see what was going on in David's life here. And what you have, you have a fool's rebellion. That's Absalom as he leads an insurrection against his own dad. And then you find there's the father's remorse as David is weeping and leaving. And, and can you imagine Absalom was one of his favorite sons? And, and here he is now leading this insurrection against his own dad. But what you find in chapter 16 is the faithful response of the servant of Mephibosheth. And I want to use this tonight just a little past the top of the hill. Now, you must understand tonight, there are hills that must be crossed in the Christian life. It's not all smooth sailing. It's not all peaches and cream. I mean, you know that. You've been saved, some of you, some length of time. There's valleys. There's heartaches. There's disappointments. There's tears. There's weeping. And that's part of the Christian life. There's some steep hills that have to be crossed. And you'll find that there's the hill maybe of defeat and despair, discouragement, and even depression. Hills in the Christian life. Uh, that must be crossed. Uh, but I want you to see something else in verse 1 of chapter 16. Uh, there's some help that is comforting. 
You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Uh, well, it seems like that David is at a place where there is no hope. But when all hope is gone, help is on the way. I mean, when we feel like, as Sister Tina was saying a while ago, uh, we can't put one foot in front of the other. It uh, seems like we don't know which way to turn, which way to go. Uh, as we go on with God, I promise you, uh, God the Holy Spirit will never abandon us, uh, but he'll see us safe all the way to the other side. I mean, there's some help that's comforting, friend. And when David got a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba met him. And you say, well, preacher, who is this guy by the name of Ziba? Well, if you remember your Bible pretty good in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, you remember there David is sitting upon the throne of Israel. Saul has died, and David is now the king. And all of a sudden, David begins to reminisce, and he said, Is there yet any that's left of the house of Saul? that I may show kindness unto him for Jonathan's sake. And Ziba spoke up, and Ziba said, David, he said, Jonathan has a son that's lame on both his feet, and he's down in Lodibar in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. You see, Ziba is a beautiful type. Now, these types fall apart after a while, but he's a type of the Holy Spirit. He knew exactly where Mephibosheth was, the grandson of Saul. And Mephibosheth's name means a breathing shame or a stench in the nostrils of God. Mephibosheth is a type of every one of us before we got saved by the grace of God. And Simon knew right where he was. And David said, I want you to fetch him. That's the very words he used. I've always knew that God favored country people, and that word fetch is a country term. It means to go and lay hold of and seize and bring back swiftly. I can see Ziba as he got the king's chariot and tied the horses to it, headed out of Jerusalem, friend, headed down the Jericho Road, and he came down there to the place of the Jordan River. You see, uh, where, where Mephibosheth was, was on the other side of Jordan. Uh, I, and the only way to cross Jordan in that day was by a ferry boat. Uh, and I can see that old ferry boat operator sitting there. Uh, and he begins to look. And here comes a cloud of dust. Uh, and he begins to really strain his eyes. Uh, he said, well, my, that looks like the king's insignia on the side of that chariot. Uh, and he said, my, that looks like Ziba, uh, uh, the servant of King David. And I see Ziba come riding up there and he said, I want to go across Jordan. And the, that old ferryboat operator said, why, there's nothing over there but Lodibar. I mean, the place of no pasture and no bread. There's nothing down there. He said, yes, there is. He said, Mephibosheth is down there and David has sent me to fetch him. I'm glad the Holy Ghost knows how to fetch sinners 
to God Almighty. Can you see as though uh, Ziba got on the other side, uh, come rolling into Lodibar, uh, and no doubt, I guess news began to spread through town. Uh, and Ziba pulled up to the house of Major, the son of Amiel, and uh, I can see him knocking on that door. Uh, inside that house, they're saying, that's the servant of David. Uh, that's David's chariot. Uh, we're all in trouble. Uh, Why, well, you know we've got Mephibosheth in here. Uh, he's the grandson of Saul. Uh, and no doubt Cyrus come down here to execute every one of us. And he's knocking on that door. Finally they let him in and Cyrus said, where is Mephibosheth? And I can hear him trying to make excuses and they said, we didn't know this and we didn't know that. He said, I want to know where Mephibosheth is. And maybe he was hiding in a dark corner in a back room. And I can hear him say, he's in yonder. But you know, Cyrus, he's a cripple. He's lame on both his feet. And you know how he became lame? 2 Samuel 4, 4 said when the news came about how that Jonathan and Saul were slain in the battle, his nurse picked him up and began to run and she dropped him and he became lame on both his feet. He was lame through the fault of another. That's what happened to us, friend. When Adam failed in the garden, he plunged the entire human race into sin. Can you imagine Mephibosheth laying in there? I mean, trying to hide in the darkness. Cyber comes to that back room and knocks. He said, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. He said, son, he said, I've come to get you. I can hear Mephibosheth say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry what my granddaddy did. I'm the arch enemy of David. David's probably sent you to execute me. He said, son, listen, I didn't come to execute you, but I've come to provide you a transportation and a way to David's household. Son, David wants to adopt you and put you in the family as one of his own own sons. You say, preacher, what do you think happened? I can see Ziba as he's knocking and Mephibosheth said, well, come on in. And about that time as he opens that door, light falls across Mephibosheth. And he sees himself again a cripple. And he recognizes his condition. Do you remember when the sweet Holy Ghost came knocking at your heart's door? You remember when you invited him to come in and you saw that you were a sinner, that you were deformed, through the fall that was the fault of another. And I can see old Mephibosheth say, he said, Ziba, I don't know the way back up there. He said, I was five years old when they brought me down here, and I can't walk. You know I'm a cripple. He said, son, I've got transportation out here. I've got a chariot of grace and a vehicle of mercy. And if you'll allow me, I'll pick you up and put you in the chariot. I can see this man in my mind's eye. I see Oziba reach down and pick up crippled Mephibosheth. Put him out there in the king's chariot. And maybe took one of the king's royal blankets that had the insignia of David upon it. And laid it across Mephibosheth's crippled limbs. And he said, now nobody will know that you're a cripple. And here they hit Ziba is a type.
life of the Holy Ghost in this message tonight. Now, here he is again in chapter 16. He shows up. I mean, there's some help that is comforting when you get a little past the top of the hill. Cyber showed up. Then notice, I want you to see there's some hopes that are coming a little past the top of the hill. You say, why do you use that word hope? You say, preacher, that's not good English. That's mountain language. Get up there in Kentucky and up in the mountains of Virginia and those people will come by and say, preacher, you're preaching hope to me today. I understand what they're talking about. And when we get a little past the top of the hill, guess what? There's some hopes that are coming, friend. Man, David probably thought, man, I'm going down in disgrace. His warriors are probably thinking, why didn't we stand and fight? Why are we going the way of the wilderness? But here's what David found just a little past the top of the hill. Number one, there's the hope of transportation. Did you see what Ziba had? The Bible said in verse 1, and Ziba the servant of Mephibosheth met him with a couple of asses saddled. He had several donkeys here, and he had them saddled. You say, where do you see transportation? Look at verse 2. And the king, that's David, said unto Ziba, what meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, the asses be for the king's household to ride on. Boy, I see David's grand youngins. I see David's family begin to get excited and they said we're not going to have to walk any further God we've got some transportation oh friend this is a picture of the grace of God when you think you've gone as far as you can go and you're just a little past the top of that hill hey you just hang on friend there's some transportation that's a coming that'll help you to keep on keeping on there's probably some people that came into this meeting this week and said Lord if I don't get some help if I don't hear from heaven if you don't do something for me Lord I don't see how I'm going to make it but God has provided transportation through the power of the Holy Ghost amen I'm glad for the grace of God aren't you that's how we've made it safe thus far and that's how we're going to make it all the way to glory friend by grace but not only do I see the hope of transportation I see the hope of celebration here you say what in the world are you talking about celebration well the Bible said in verse 1 and upon those asses upon them 200 loaves of bread a hundred bunches of raisins and a hundred of summer fruits and David said in verse 2 what meanest thou by these he said the asses be for the king's household to ride on that's transportation and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat this is the hope of celebration now they didn't have time to stop at McDonald's or Hardee's or Shoney's friend whether you youngins believe it or not there wasn't any back then there wasn't any fast food chains they didn't have time to pack a picnic lunch they had to head out of Jerusalem friend and what I have read and been informed about this bread and the summer fruit and the raisins what the Israeli 
women would do when their husbands and their men would ride out to war and come back victorious. The women would make a big cake, much like a sheet cake, and it was made out of bread and summer fruit and raisins, and it was a victorious meal that they would sit down and celebrate together. Don't you know these fighting men probably thought we'll never have another celebration. We're going down in defeat. But all oh, just a little past the top of the hill, there's the hope of celebration. Don't you let the devil lie to you and tell you you'll never feel God's presence again and you'll never feel the warm breath of God upon your soul. He's a liar, friend. You just keep going. Hey, God can prepare a table in the middle of a wilderness, friend. He can cause there to be wells of water that spring up in barren deserts. Our God can make a way, friend, when there is no way. And here's the hope of celebration. Boy, these young men see the bread and the summer fruits. And David said, what meanest thou but these? And Ziba said, this is for the young men to eat. And I believe them soldiers got excited and said, hey, here's the hope of celebration. But not only that, number three, if you'll notice in chapter 16, verse 1, there's a third article. There's a third there's something, the third portion of something that's on these donkeys. Now there's the bread, the summer fruit, and the raisins. And there's asses that are saddled, transportation and celebration, and a bottle of wine. Did you see that? And a bottle of wine. You say, what in the world is this? This is the hope of inspiration. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Buster. Look at verse 2. David said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? He understands the asses are for his family to ride upon. The bread and the summer fruit is for the young men to eat and the wine. Now here's, the, here's what Ziba said. He said, And the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. That wine, you know what wine is symbolic of in the Word of God. Many, many times it's symbolic of the Holy Ghost. And they were faint in the wilderness, friend. And they needed some refreshment. They needed something to rejuvenate them and stir them and let them know that God had not forgotten them. Aren't you glad just a little past the top of the hill? Haven't you been in some of those places? I mean, they were dry and they were barren. And you thought, oh, Lord, where are you, Lord? Where, where, where's a table to be spread? And, Lord, where is there some wells of water out here? I'm glad God knows how to find them and God knows how to prepare them. And when you get a little past the top of the hill, just hang on, friend. There's the hope of celebration, transportation, and inspiration. Cyber said that wine is for such 
as be faint in the wilderness they drink. Now you can believe what you want to believe. I'm reading between the lines. I believe Brother David walked over there and what's implied here is a wine flask. Not a bottle like this but a dried out, cured out wine skin, a goat skin that's been made to haul wine in. Now it's not Mogan David or Boone's farm or some other thing like that but it's that fruit of the vine that, that pure grape juice I can see old David uncork that thing and he pulls him a slug off of that and it gets past his goozle and drops down into his inner regions and he said men that's refreshing and he said anybody else faint in the wilderness I believe soldier after soldier got in line and they begin to drink do you not understand what this meeting's been about all week long I mean this pastor in this church has tried to be a host to us and invited the Holy Ghost to come and let God make this to be a table and spread the groceries on it and the wine, the power of the Holy Ghost is what we need to help us to keep on keeping on. Now I'm telling you, I'm making an analogy here in a spiritual comparison. I'm telling you, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Now some of you have looked strangely at Brother Lawson this week and there's others in Knoxville that are saying strange things about him. I'm going to tell you something, friend. The fullness of the power of God is still available. I'm telling you, we need to find God's wine cellar and get in it and just say, Lord, fill me and fill me and fill me again. That Bible said, and be not drunk with wine wherein is an excess, but be you filled with the Spirit. But be you filled with the Spirit continually, uh, allowing Him to control you and fill you. Uh, and, and to uh, listen, I believe, now I'm not talking about a second work of grace. I'm talking about grace in work. Uh, I'm talking about God filling us uh, and giving us unction and anointing and power uh, and help uh, to keep on keeping on in these days. Amen. That's why, hey, you know how our grandparents and our forefathers were able to make it? Why, they didn't have new cars and new houses and new suits of clothes and all of that. I mean, some of them were sharecroppers and just as poor as could be. But those that were saved by the grace of God, they knew where God's wine cellar was. And they knew how to get there. And listen, they didn't have to have five verses from their favorite quartet to sing to get them stirred up. They came in. I mean, kind of tipsy. I, I don't know how to make this anymore. This is a crude analogy. But back there when we used to party, when we'd plan on throwing a New Year's Eve party, I'd tell you when I got off from work, I'd stop and get a half pint. Now that's before I ever got to the party. And I was, you know, getting ready for party time. And when I got to the party, I was feeling pretty good, I thought. Ain't that crazy? I had to drink that rock gut stuff and then get to puke 
drinking and throwing up and regurgitating and, and listen dizzy and your head swell and somebody beats your eyes out and you say man didn't we have a good time I tell you I've had a good time around here I had a good time I have a good time when the Holy Ghost breathes on my soul friend and refreshes me with that divine breath from heaven it do us all good if we get up early on Sunday morning. Get up early. Try to have a prayer meeting with the Lord. Put some good old time hymns on. And come to church singing Amazing Grace. And come in about three sheets in the wind. You hear me? Saying hallelujah. Glory to God. About the time we're ready to have meeting, it's time to close out the meeting. I've seen them do it in days gone by now. You ain't telling me nothing that I not, don't know about, friend. I've seen, listen, at the old time church there, right? when dad pastored, I've seen them come up out of the Sunday school rooms of shouting. I've seen them when they couldn't even have Sunday school. I mean, the Sunday school superintendent get up and try to take a roll call and say, somebody get up and testify. And another and say, would somebody play us a song? I just feel like somebody ought to sing to us. And they'd sing about Jesus, lover of my soul. Let me to thy bosom fly. And honey, it was on. And they got to shouting and didn't even get to go to Sunday school. And when the second shift come in at 11 o'clock, I mean, the work had done been done and it was time to go home amen I'm just saying I believe that God's power his power is still available still available you know they accused Simon Peter they accused him and those 11 of being drunk on the day of Pentecost they did they said these men are drunk on new wine Simon Peter never did deny being drunk. He said, we are not drunk as ye suppose. <laughs> Seen it is but the third hour of the day. It wasn't but nine o'clock in the morning. He said, the bars and the taverns in Jerusalem are not open yet. But he said, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. They'd done went and got a drink down at Joel's place, friend. And God had flooded their souls. I wonder how they're acting. I mean, they, they thought they were drunk on new wine. I see Simon Peter stand up to deliver that message. And 11 others stood up and said, Preach it, Brother Simon. Amen. Tell them about Jesus and how he was crucified. Amen. You say, Preacher, I think that's taking it to the extreme. Huh? Oh, yeah. You say, That makes me nervous. You didn't have to tell me that. I can look around and find out who's nervous when it gets to going on like this. Well, you say, I'm afraid some of it will be wildfire. Right? Don't you worry about wildfire, friend. I mean, there's enough old wet blankets in any Baptist church to put out about any kind of fire. Don't be afraid of little wildfire. You say, I'm afraid how people are going to act. I'm afraid, listen, oh, I'm afraid that I'll, I'll get to getting ecstatic and I'll jump up and speak in tongues. I've got news for you. You get filled for the Holy Ghost and God will put a bridle on the one you've got. He'll bring this and you've got into submission, friend. Amen. 
Now you say, what are you trying to tell us? I'm saying a little past the top of the hill, uh, there's some juice for the journey. Uh, there's some wine for the will. We're in the wilderness, friend, and it seems like it's hot and barren and desolate at times. But I'm glad that the Lord can send exactly what we have need of just in the nick of time. Amen. Some of the best meetings I've ever been in has been by myself. Just me and the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, listen, I'm telling you now. I love my wife, and I held hands with her the other night in the service here. I held hands with her and had my arm around her. But I'm going to tell you something. I mean, we, we hold hands and I put my But when we get to the house, I give her sugar. And, and I mean, we romance at the house. You know what I'm saying? Now listen to me. Hey, if it works here, it ought to work at your house. It ought to work when you're driving to work. It ought to work when you're going to the job maybe. And when you're, hey, when you, sometimes when you least expect it. When you least deserve it too. Remember a couple of years ago, I'd messed up on a meeting and I was supposed to have been with Brother Casey Poole in Decatur, Alabama, and I had to cancel him, and so I had to make it up. And I had to drive, and that's about a five-hour drive from Knoxville, and you gain an hour going that way. And I mean, I had to leave early Sunday morning and drive off. I wasn't in too good of a frame of mood. I'll just be honest with you. I, my last verse is not, and he arose a great while before day. And I mean, here I was traipsing through the dark, trying not to wake Barbara and them up, getting clothes and getting my Bible and, and getting in the car and I didn't feel good and driving all the way down through there. And really, I didn't deserve what I was getting ready to get a hold of or that got a hold of me. I was going down the road kind of mumbling and complaining and belly aching in my mind. And, and so I thought I'd put some good music in there and I put a tape in, old Brother Lance Carpenter. And old Brother Lance began to sing. And the sweet Holy Ghost kind of just touched my soul a little bit and, and said, son, you need an attitude adjustment right here. And boy, I got to begging him to forgive me. And I said, Lord, would you have mercy? I'm glad I got a place to go preach. I'm glad I got a car to go in. I'm glad I got gas in the car. And I went to blessing him about that time the sun began to rise over there and I said Lord I bless you for the sun I bless you for everything I see and the next thing heaven swung low friend and the blessed Holy Ghost welled up inside of me tears got to running down my face I turned the defroster zone and I'm telling you the windows fogged up and I had to pull the car over I couldn't even see which way I was going you said what's the matter with you had the blind staggers amen you say, was you slain in the spirit? No. I mean, I just got a drink. I just got down to the wine cellar. And God poured in some good refreshing wine. I staggered. I got over there to a phone booth beside Hardy's. And I got my date book out. And I dialed up Brother Lance in Kissimmee, Florida. And I got him on the phone. And I said, Brother Carpenter, I'm drunk again. He said, son, where are you? I said, somewhere between Knoxville and Decatur, Alabama. He said, I was praying for you before the sun ever come up this morning. I said, well, your prayers got through. Amen. You say, you're crazy. I know that. I got papers that say that. <laughs> was down there years ago. Brother John Dent, pastors down in America's Georgia. That little, their church is so little you could put it in half his choir. Little old Methodist old building. They converted to a Baptist church. 
We was in there having meeting. And you have to have, man, that crowd, they, they wasn't many of us, but they're bad about getting drunk. Bad about it. And they are singing this song, getting ready to sing this song, this little quartet out of the church. And one of the men nudged me, Brother Marion Atkinson did, and he said, have you ever heard this song? I said, no, what is it? He said, it's Arise, My Love. Arise, my love, I thought. Is that out of the Song of Solomon? I thought, where'd that come from? So I struck, you see, you need a designated driver down there. Somebody's got to stay sober to drive that crowd around down there. And they begin to, how many of you have heard that song, Arise, my love? Son, I mean, it's having the Lord dead and in the grave and the devil saying, forget him, he's gone. And it's as though the Father steps out on the front porch of heaven and said, Arise, my love. Son, that hit me sideways and I felt the bottle uncrook and I felt the, I, I felt the cork come out of it and there's a little drub dribble down the side of my mouth. I said, would y'all sing that one more time? And they sung it again and I I mean, I pushed my Bible aside, uh, spiritually wretched up, and grabbed that bottle and began to drink. Uh, I said, sing it again. Uh, they sung that song about 15 times. Uh, I lost my coat. I lost the keys to my car. Uh, I shouted till I was ringing wet. Uh, I'd had a time, and they finally closed the meeting down. We never did get around to preaching, friend. Uh, I mean, God, you, it's hard to sow the seed when the winds are blowing just right. And I tell you, they got calmed down. I said, somebody's going to have to drive me. I'm telling you, I'm not fit to drive. And they drove us up to Hardy's. We got out in Hardy's parking lot. And in my mind, it hit me again. Arise, my love. You want to you find out how to clean Hardy's out? Just go. Well, I'm telling you, I mean, that thing got a hold of me. I like it. I don't, I don't live here all the time. I'm honest. Sometimes I get weary and I get faint in the wilderness. And I think, Lord, I can't go much further. Well, I go to some of these meetings and they're tough now, men. And I don't mean that the wrong way, but it's not always like this. Not, there's not always this good spiritual atmosphere. There's not always this good atmosphere that's conducive for preaching and worship. Sometimes it's as dry as a chip. Well, I mean, it's so dry. Brother Mays Jackson said, if old Betsy come in and that was the cow, said from the time she, he said it was so cold in some Baptist churches, from the time she got to the back to the front, she'd be giving popsicles or sunsets. <laughs> Son, I mean, he talked about it being cold. And I've been there. But you know what? You go and you go and you go and you go. You think, Lord, I can't go much further. And then glory to God, just a little past the top of the hill. Honey, he shows up, and, and he has exactly what we've got needed. Juice for the journey, wine for the weary. Amen. God's no respecter of persons. No, sir, friend. You don't have to be 35 or 45 or 55 to enjoy the fullness of God's power. Amen. Now you say, when do we need this preacher quickly? And I'm through. I didn't think I'd go this long. But I want you to see when we're fainting in the wilderness. That's what he said in verse number two. That's when this wine is available, he said. He said, David, I, I, he, in essence, he's saying that I knew you was going to need transportation. I knew you men would need celebration. I brought the hope of inspiration for everybody that's faint. Just get a drink right here and you'll get refreshed. I'm going to, there's nothing that'll refresh you, friend, and stir you up and get you wanting to go. Just 
than just getting along with God and Him meeting with you and you meeting with Him. I'm telling you, it'll put some fire in your bones. Get you stirred up again. <laughs> like one boy said, and I know this is facetiously, but he said, man, I feel like charging hell with a water pistol. I don't know. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying. You say, well, he can't charge. I understand that, but if you ever, if you ever get faint in the wilderness and God give you a good drink, you might try to charge hell with a water pistol. Might not get far, but you, you might want to try it. When you're fainting in the wilderness, friend. And when you're facing the hostility of the enemy. Don't you see this in verse number 5 right here? In verse number 5 of chapter 16. And when King David came to Behurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. You ever met him? He's got descendants that are still living. The son of Gera, he came forth and cursed still as he came. He'd make a good Baptist deacon, wouldn't he? Or a trustee. And he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. Now, I like this. Won't you see something right here? I mean, Shimei is up there on the hillside cursing. He's throwing stones, and, and David's men gather around him. They get on his right hand and his left hand. I, I hear one of them say, don't you let none of those stones get to David. Don't let none of those insults reach his ears. Let's protect him Amen. from the enemy. Amen. Hey, there's Shimei's that'll try to rise up in the church, friend. Amen. What we need now, we need some men like in verse number 9. Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Now, now I'm telling you, he wasn't mincing words, friend. Uh, he wasn't speaking in a spiritual tone uh, and spiritualizing this thing. He said, David, you give me the word, uh, and I'll go up on that hillside and, and cut that dead dog's head off. I believe he's got Satan blood in him. <laughs> Brother Billy Kelly, <laughs> Brother Billy weighed about 390 to 420, according to whether he's on two dots or not. You say two dots? He said, yeah, there wasn't enough food on the first one. <laughs> Brother Billy said every time his nerves got tore up, his fist balled up. <laughs> and you say, well, preacher of the Bible said, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Brother Billy would say, I know that, but I'm not concerned about righteousness right now. You'll catch on after a while. You pastor some, and you try to preach meetings, and you try to do something for God, and you're going to pop into a shimmy eye every now and then. But you know how to handle this thing when you're facing the hostility of the enemy? That's when we need the wine of God. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost. We need him to help us and control us. Oh, yes. Face, and we're, hey, we're in the heat of a battle, friend. It's a battleground. There's shimmy eyes out there on the job, in the school. I mean, they're, they're out there. They don't love the Lord. They don't care about the things of God. But watch something else. Not only when you're facing the hostility of the enemy, but when you're fighting in the heat of the battle. We're closing. Look at verse number 13. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. He's gone so far now, he's throwing dust up in the air like a wild man. Reminds me of a deacon's meeting kind of. I don't know why, but I just see a deacon's meeting here. And... and <laughs> 
You say, do you hate deacons? No, I don't hate deacons. I, I love good godly deacons. I've just not met many. You, you, you didn't understand that, didn't you? You know, somehow we've got this mentality in East Tennessee and around this neck of the woods. Don't let me get off on this and kill a good meeting, Lord. But we've got this mentality that these, see, God calls preachers. Churches set aside deacons. And these deacons somehow have got the mentality that they run the church, they hire and fire the preacher. You find that for me in this Bible, and I'll eat every page of it, friends. You know what a good godly deacon's supposed to do? And by the way, just because they set aside seven in the book of Acts, they had 7,000 members of the church there. And the widows were being, the, the Grecian widows were being neglected. And, and they came to Peter and them and began to complain about it. And, and Peter told the men, said, seek ye out seven men full of the Holy Ghost. And of a good report to take care of this. What? Wait on widows. Wait on widows. So the men of God could give themselves continually to the study of the word and to prayer. You know what a good godly deacon will do? He'll be his pastor to the hospital to see somebody sick. A good godly deacon will be over there to check on the widows and make sure they got firewood cut and make sure they've got some bread and got some groceries. Hey, he won't be trying to run the pastor's business, the church's business. I believe it is if I am doing it. It's all I've heard today. Amen. Now, some of you got a frown on your face. You're either a deacon or kin to one. Oh, brother. And you know what? They think they're ordained for life. They think they can leave one church and go to another church and carry their deaconship with them. You find that for me in this Bible. Well, I didn't know it was going to turn out like this. Thank God we got to offer him glory. I'm glad the offering's done come in. Don't let nobody get their hands in that offering plate. Hey, you say, now, preacher, oh, no, just, I mean, my dad pastored, listen. Now, I'm going to tell you, my dad pastored 19 years, and uh, I've been preaching 25 years, never have pastored. I'm crazy. I've got papers that say documented that I am mentally deranged and take chemical imbalance medication. But I have not, I've not lost my mind yet. I've not pastored yet. (laughs) I'm not saying these pastors have lost their mind, but I'm just crazy. I'm crazy enough to know better. Stay out of it. Dad pastored 19 years. My brother's been pastoring several years now. And I've tried to help pastors. And I'm not mad at deacons. No, I love good godly deacons. Brother, I'm going to tell you, if they're good godly deacons, they're worth their weight in gold. Amen. You remember I was talking about Absalom. Hey, they, they, I'm going to tell every one of you young preachers in here that's younger than I, or I don't care if you're older than I am. God help any of you in here that ever lead an insurrection against your pastor. And God help any of you that try to undermine him. And there's several pastors in here tonight. Some of these absalons will sit around and, and they'll say, oh, that if I was the pastor, I'd do this and I'd do that. He doesn't care and he's not showing this. He's not doing that. They'll undermine. Hey, and they'll try to lead a, a group out. 
And God help anybody that had put... Now, you better listen to what I'm saying. God help anybody that would ordain somebody like that and put their hands on somebody like that who led an insurrection against their pastor and took out a bunch of people and go down the road and start a bastard church. That means illegitimate. That's not cussing, friend. That's what it is, illegitimate. You just don't break off from a church and get mad and you and your family go down the road and take your grandson or your nephew or whoever it is and put you a shingle up and start you a church. It'll work like that. Whoa. That's right. You only knew what I knew, friend. God help. I got to get to the wine. That's what I got to get to right here. I need it. I'm going to take me one. I don't think this is wine. When we're facing the hostility of the enemy, when we're fighting in the heat of the battle, we need the good wine. I'm going to tell you, that's the only thing that can keep you from getting upset and handling things. Why look back on my dad's ministry now? And listen, it's a miracle of God. He didn't whip somebody. Now, you'd have, to understand, you'd have to understand who my daddy was. I mean, Dad had two scholarships to play college football before they ever come out with face shields. I mean, they wore leather helmets back then. His nose had been broke so many times he could take it and shake it like that, and it sounded like marbles inside of it. Scars on his face, double-fisted man. I'm talking about a man's man. And you know, I have seen him do this. I remember sitting back there as a teenager. I've seen Dad come to that, and I didn't know what was going on. He wouldn't talk all that stuff at the house. He didn't, he, he, he didn't talk it in front of me and the children. And I, I'm 12 years older than Jim, and my sister's three years younger than, than he is. But I've seen my daddy get up, and he always pulled off his coat when he's a preacher. And he'd get up behind it. I've seen my daddy said, this four by four right here is mine. And he said, I'll say who comes to preach, and I'll say who gets what in the offering. And he said, we'll go outside if you want to discuss it, and the one who comes back in here can call the shot. And nobody ever took him up on it. You say, well, I wouldn't have him as my pastor. What you got news is he wouldn't have you as his member. Back then, he'd say, I can move you with a five-cent stamp. You know how long ago that's been. He said, well, it'd take me $2,500 to move my furniture, and I can move you with a five-cent stamp. Here, church, there, church, everywhere, church, church. Just a hopping and a hopping and a hopping. God help us. We need, now, oh, I don't know how in the world I got over in this. But the only way that we can stay right, Lewis, big red sign here is looking at me. Do right, do right, do right. And I'm trying to do right tonight. We got to, to do right, we're going to have to stay in that wine cellar. Draw nigh unto God and say, Lord, fill me. Please fill me, Lord. Control my tongue. Control my actions. Control me. Help me, Lord. Help me. Even when I'm facing the hostility of the enemy, fighting in the heat of the battle. And watch this. All of this happens just a little past the top of the hill. You say, preacher, I feel like I've gone about as far as I can go. Then you're a candidate. You're a candidate for some help from heaven. Just a little past the top of that hill. And guess what's going to happen before much longer? 
we're going to top out on the last hill. The last one the church will ever have to go through. And when we get there, there's going to be transportation that take us all the way to glory. You're talking about a ride, friend. I mean, a plain air ride. I mean, we're going to, one old preacher said, we're going to blast out of here like Superman and come back like the Lone Ranger. Hi-ho, silver. A little past the top of that last hill, there'll be the hope of transportation, and there's going to be a celebration like never before. Marriage of the Lamb. And there'll be inspiration. I promise you that. There'll be inspiration like never before. Just a little past the top of the hill. Let's bear our heads and through preaching. Pastor, you come with me, Father.